Doesn't that seem kind of bizarre to thank God for hard times? Seems kind of strange, doesn't it? People out in the world can't say that unless they know the Lord. Because it's those valleys that draw us to Christ, and He's with us in the valley. This morning we're talking about, from Exodus chapter 9, judgment and mercy. If you are a guest this morning, we have been going through on a journey, going through the book of Exodus. And so now we are to chapter 9, where we will look at three different plagues. So, Exodus chapter 9. Before we read this text, and by the way, we're, we're going to take it one plague at a time. That's how we'll do it through chapter 9. I want to say that God is for you. Did you know that this morning? That God is with you. He is for you. He's not against you. Though people let you down, the Lord is with you. He's for you. Though your world may be falling apart this morning, God... The God of the university is for you. Whether you're a young mom this morning and barely made it here, you may have had a diaper explosion like we have sometimes at our house, and even in those moments, God's for you. Maybe you lost your job this past month. Maybe you totaled your car. Maybe uh, whatever maybe everything in your life seems to be changing. Your body's changing, your circumstances are changing, and maybe you're just a nervous wreck. Regardless this morning where you find yourself, God is for you. And he wants to use all of these plagues in your life to point you to himself. Exodus chapter 9, verse, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. But not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Would you mind praying with me? Father God, right now we ask that you would speak. Lord, we ask that you would move. God, we're humbled that we can even sing to you, Lord, that you have shown great mercy on our lives. And Lord, we trust you with today, wherever we are. God, we trust you with our future. God, we expect that your word does not return void. So God, in these moments, we, by faith, we seek and we search your scripture and what you have to say to your people, both as a group and both as, uh, and also as individuals. God, we ask you to speak and trust that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First plague we see, we come to, is the fifth plague. Egyptian livestock die. 
Hathor, H-A-T-H-O-R, is the Egyptian goddess of love and protection in ancient, he- ancient Egypt. This goddess was usually depicted with the head of a cow. So God shows glory over this false god in Egypt. The first point under the fifth plague is the discipline of the Lord is given to adjust behavior. We saw last week that Pharaoh's heart, it was harder and harder. Why? Because he was faced with the truth by each plague. And he was not walking in the truth. And it made his heart grow cold and harder and harder. So the discipline of the Lord was given to adjust behavior. God disciplines us not because it's fun for him, not because he has nothing to do, but because he loves us. A young boy lived in the countryside. His family had to use an outhouse, in which the young boy hated. It was hot in the summer, it was cold in the winter, and it smelled really bad. The outhouse was located near the creek. So the boy decided that he would one day, whenever the creek rose, he would push that outhouse into the water. After the spring rain, the creek swelled, so the boy pushed it in. Later that night, his dad told him that he and the boy needed to make a trip to the woodshed. The boy knew this meant punishment. He asked his father, why? And his dad replied, because someone pushed the outhouse into the creek. And I believe that someone was you. Was it? The boy responded that it was him. And then he added, see, the children always want to add something else to the story. Do your kids ever say, but this or but that? The boy, he added, Remember when George Washington's father asked him if he had chopped down the cherry tree? He didn't get into trouble because he told the truth. That is correct, the dad said. But his father was not in the cherry tree when he cut it down. <laughs> Many of us may have not toppled, toppled an outhouse into the creek, but we can identify with this little boy. Three ways we identify. First, that there's that urge in us just to do wrong. We identify with that. We call that sinful nature. Second, our sin affects other people. Sin has consequences. It's not just to harm our own self, but sin has consequences to hurt those around us. In this first plague, we see that the animals, whom God loves, by the way, God created animals, they were harmed because of the hard-headedness of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And the third way we identify with this, this young boy is that there are consequences to our choices. The next point I'd like to make under the, the fifth plague is the God of mercy always provides an escape. Did you know that? That when you're tempted, God will always provide an escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It's an important passage. You might want to write that one down. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. 
that you may be able to endure it. See, God gives us a way out. When we're tempted, we can say yes to Jesus and no to sin every time. Now let's move on to the next plague. The sixth plague, the boils. Verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln. In the first service, I kept saying the kill. When I got to that, I said the kill. I did it twice and did not mean to, nor did I plan on that. There were handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln, from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air. And it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. The sixth plague boils. The Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace, her name was Isis. That's interesting. Maybe a coincidence, maybe not. I-S-I-S, the Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace. And so that is the false god that all the Egyptians gave credit for the peace and gave credit every time someone had great looking skin. Those Egyptian princesses, when their skin was just wonderful, they gave credit to Isis instead of God who created them in their mother's wombs and in his image. Our first point, we see that greater disobedience reaps a greater judgment. Greater disobedience reaps a greater judgment. See, this happens in our court system today. The first time you get a speeding ticket, what happens? You can go before the judge and you can say, Judge, I was sipping my Mountain Dew Code Red and I was just not thinking about the speed limit and I wasn't thinking. The officer gives you a ticket to go to the judge and judge, so judge hears your story and, and what happens? He can, if he chooses, allow you to go to driver's education school or go take a course and that will lower your fee and probably get that taken off of your record. But what happens when you get the second ticket? goes on your record and you have to pay the full amount and the third ticket and the fourth and the fifth eventually your license gets suspended greater disobedience reaps a greater judgment and the plagues are getting more serious and more serious God is being patient God is clearly telling Pharaoh that he needs to let his people go and Pharaoh is hard-headed and he doesn't listen greater disobedience reaps a greater judgment Anyone ever been there before? It's like the Lord, at first, he just kind of knocks you up beside the head when you start walking down the wrong way, the wrong path. And then the further you go down that path, like the hand of the Lord gets more firm and stronger and stronger. Next thing you know, your your car's spinning around on the road, and God gets our attention. God's not just wanting to smite us or punish us just because, but God loves us. And he has a plan for us, and he wants us to be restored to himself. God disciplines those that he loves. Next, we see that God puts a halt 
to the false worship in Egypt. God puts a halt to the false worship in Egypt. We are desensitized today to false worship of idols and, and different things. But it's really an atrocious thing because, see, God is the one that created the earth. He created people. He, he owns the planet. He owns all of the universe. He's the only God. And so God had had enough. And at first, he puts in this first plague we looked at, the livestock, God put a halt to the business, to a huge part of the economy, the livestock and all that, that happened with that and how that affected the economy. But here, God puts a halt to the false worship in Egypt. Because see, all of the priests, the false priests in the land, they would have been unclean by having boils on their body. They would not have been able to go make sacrifices to the people. There were some excavations in the ancient city, the Egyptian city of Memphis. Not Memphis, USA, but Memphis which is actually the city of Memphis in, in America, was named after this great Egyptian city. And the, in the excavations, by the way, there's a great Bass Pro Shops in the Egyptian pyramid in Memphis, just in case you want to know that. But there were 1,000 temples. So in the excavations, they discovered over 1,000 temples in Egypt, ancient temples to worship these false gods. And on the day that God... The boils showed up on all the people. God shut down the false worship in all of the land of Egypt. God shut it down. He had had enough. People were going, good-hearted people that wanted to, to appease some false god that came, and they brought all their resources. They came, and they made sacrifices to these gods that were false. And it broke God's heart. And so the Lord had enough of it, and so he shut it down by putting boils on the skin of not just the priests, but all the people in Egypt. Psalm 44 says that if we have forgotten the name of God or stretched out our hand to a false God, will God not search this out? Yes, he will. He cares. He is the only one that deserves our worship. The next plague we come to is the seventh plague. Hail, H-A-I-L, verse 13. Now, this is a longer passage, so if your neighbor dozes off, give a sharp elbow to their rib cage. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, for this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put, you, put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. And you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as never has been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into the safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hell falls on them. Then whoever feared the Lord of, 
feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hell in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in that field, in the field and all in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pause. At this time, Moses and Aaron probably almost fell out of the words they were hearing Moses share. Unpause. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hell. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the, the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So what happened? Basically, God sends a thunderstorm, a lot of rain, large hail. You know, when you hear on the news and you hear golf ball-sized hail, oh, man, that could hurt my car. And then sometimes, if it's a really bad storm, you hear, uh, what, hail the size of oranges or grapefruit, and you're like, oh, my, I need to make sure that I get all of my animals inside and park my car under a shed. It's large storm. And in the seventh plague, God shows glory and power over the Egyptian goddess of the sky. The goddess's name, her name is Nut, N-U-T. A beautiful name for a lady. And her, this, God shows power over this false god. There's many observations that we could take and truths coming from this passage. One I noticed is that whoever, our first point here under the seventh plague... Whoever disregards the word of the Lord will forget about others. Notice there uh, in verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. Okay? So if people that feared the word of the Lord, they said, okay, 
we believe this is God, what did they do? They asked their slaves to come in. They asked all, put all the animals inside. Verse 21, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. How heartless do you have to be? They didn't believe God. Whoever disregards the word of the Lord will forget about others. Do we see that in society? Yes, we do. Who is it that started hospitals in this country? The church, the believers. Is it coincidence that all of our hospitals, you know, you have the Baptist hospital, the Methodist hospital, the Catholic hospital. Why? Because the church cares about people. God's people care. Not people who honor God in name only, but people that are actually believers and love the Lord. You may be thinking, okay, I thought you said that the livestock were dead. Okay, so it looks like an apparent contradiction. I'd like to challenge that contradictional thought by a few things. Number one, this verse does not mention uh, verse nine, chapter 9, verse 3, when it says, Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, and on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. So that is in the first plague that we looked at today. That verse does not mention one of the most important domesticated animals at that time, especially the goat. Everyone say goat. Now, what did they use goats for? You can make butter out of goat milk. You can milk the goat. Goats can do all kinds of things. One of my life dreams is to own a goat. I just can't wait. Timing has not worked out yet. But they... Goats were not mentioned. And other possible animals that they had that were not mentioned. So it's possible that all the livestock except for the goats were killed in the first plague. A number two, a second point to challenge this apparent contradiction. Verses 19 and 20 mentions that those who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh were told to get their livestock out of the fields. Some scholars mention that these Egyptians may have been warned about the previous plague of pestilence, although it was not recorded. So they still had, basically, all their livestock left. In this scenario, God warned them to put all their livestock in barns so they wouldn't be killed by the hail. And there's many more arguments you could give, but I want to give one more. Number three. The Bible does not reveal how much time happened between the fifth plague and the seventh plague. It could have been a day, could have been two days, three days, could have been two weeks. We don't know. So following the fifth plague, which wiped out the livestock of Egypt, what probably happened? Well, the Egyptians probably went to, to where? To the Israelites and took all of their livestock. Very possible. They took all of the livestock of the Israelites, which would have been a lot. There were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Israelites and all of their animals. So that's one possibility. A second would be they could have went to their neighboring countries in Libya, Ethiopia, Canaan, and brought in some new animals because they had to have animals. 
it was crucial to the economy. Kind of like a cell phone today. You got to have it. You know, if you lose your cell phone, there's not much you can do until you get that worked out. When I lose my cell phone, I rejoice in saying hallelujah. And so that the second option, if, if they did go to their neighboring countries and get those animals, that would have taken weeks, probably. But the Bible doesn't say uh, necessarily the time between the plagues. So those, those are just a few things as, as you see this apparent contradiction with the life cycle. Okay, moving on. Next point under the seventh plague. Knowing the truth cannot deliver one from God's judgment. Did you know that? That just knowing the truth cannot deliver you from God's judgment. There in verse 27, Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Wow, that's a powerful truth. Pharaoh, is he right? Absolutely, he's right. He's sharing the truth. But Pharaoh's problem is not that he does not know the truth, is that he does not respond to it appropriately. He does not repent. He does not do what God is asking him to do. So knowing the truth cannot deliver one from God's judgment. In America, you could take a poll, how many people believe that there's a God, and there's going to be a lot of people that say, yeah, we believe in God, and yeah, you can call us Christians. But the truth is, their heart is far from the Lord, and they do not know the Lord personally. So knowing the truth cannot deliver one from God's judgment. Psalm 50, verse 6. Just thinking about the God being a judge. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. You know, we don't hear judgment talked about a lot from the pulpit. We don't hear it talked about a lot in Sunday school. We don't hear it talked about a lot in the home. Well, in my house, there's a lot of judgment going on. <laughs> but the truth is, it's no fun. You know, we don't want to think about it. It's weird and bizarre to think about God punishing us for our sins. That's not popular. That doesn't sell books. That doesn't fill up churches. But the truth is, is that God is love, right? He is a definition of love. He, he, there's no one that loves everyone here more uh, than God. There's no one that loves Bay St. Louis more than God. There's no one that loves all of the cities on the coast more than the Lord. And so, yes, we rejoice in the New Testament, the new covenant that Jesus saves. And when he saves you, he sets you free. He sets you free. When you don't come to church, he's not keeping a tab. When you don't go to Sunday school and don't get a sticker, he doesn't care. He loves you. He's got, he sets you free. He, when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the things that you do for the Lord. He sees perfection. He sees holiness through the blood of Jesus. He sets you free. That's why when we sing these songs, man, I just can't help but move a little bit. Because there's a song in my heart. Jesus sets us free. We come and we sit, we soak and we sour. And we look like we're mad at the world because we, don't ha we haven't been set free. And friend, if you don't know the freedom of Christ this morning, you can come today and taste the freedom. You can come to the Lord and he will fill your, your cup. So God is a judge and there is consequences for our sin. Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked city. 
in the Old Testament. We've heard about it. And you remember Abraham asked his nephew Lot, where do you want to, Lot, where do you want to go live? And what did, the, what did Lot do? He consulted with his wife, and they decided that they wanted to be closer to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, they had a target there, and a, a Sonic, and a Dairy Queen, and, and that, yes, we want to be closer to all those things. But they did not realize how wicked Sodom and Gomorrah was, and they underestimated their own flesh. They underestimated how far their flesh could take them. And so what did God do? He, after many warnings, God destroyed that city. And Romans chapter 1 tells us about it. Before it tells us about Sodom and Gomorrah, basically the Lord says in Romans 1 that we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we worship the creation more than the creator. Do we see that in our culture? People worshiping creation more than the creator, right? We see that all around. We see that in the school system. We see that in the workplaces. We see that on TV. People worshiping. Now, we do love beautiful sunsets, and we do love nature, right? God created it, but we should not worship it. It's there to worship God for God's glory. But Romans 1 says about Sodom and Gomorrah that God gave them up. God gave them up to their vile passions. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Has God given you up? Has God given you up over to the evil one this morning? I have an answer for that question. No, he he has not. The fact that you are here today is proof that God has not given up on you or me. God hasn't given you up because if he, if he has, then you would not be here. There's people here today uh, in, on, the set, in the coast, on the coast that are not in church, many, actually the vast majority of them. And guess what? God hasn't given up on them either. But the clock is ticking friends. America, I love America, okay? Look at this. I have on red and blue and white. I'm a patriot. In fact, I send uh, messages all the time to my friends. I just put an American flag on the tail end of my messages just because I think it's awesome. Because, hey, God bless the USA. You know what I'm saying? But I love Jesus a whole lot more than I love my country. Some of us have that backwards. We love America more than we love the Lord. And though God has blessed our country, more missionaries have been sent out through this country over the past 150 years than any other country. God has blessed America. Why? So that we would bless the nations. So that we would be a blessing. But friend, our nation is wicked and corrupt. And God will judge this land if for nothing else than just abortion. I think that's on God's heart right now. God is a righteous, holy judge, and he cannot let sin just go free. Someone has to account for it. In church, we need to be begging and crying out to the Lord for his mercy on our land.
I believe, maybe I'm foolish, but I believe some of the greatest days America has ever seen is in the future. You may say, well, you just said God's going to judge us. That's right. We will be held accountable. But I believe it's possible because God can do anything, not because how great America is, but because of the Lord that abortion will end over the next 20 to 30 years. God can do it. He's looking for somebody to believe that he's the God of the Bible and that he can do anything. I believe God can turn a heart like Pharaoh's and they, he can come to know Christ. Look at the Ninevites. Reese Gill, our intern at our church, preached about Jonah last week. Or maybe that was two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. Think about all those Ninevites, thousands upon thousands of people. They were wicked. They were more wicked than our country. They were bad, bad news bears. These guys were trouble. And Jonah went in there and he said, repent. You're going to have to answer to the Lord for your sins. You're going to be judged. And what did those Ninevites do? They repented. And what did God do? He forgave them. Thousands upon thousands. Friend, be reminded today, God is a God of judgment and mercy. And he prefers mercy over judgment. But because he's holy, judgment has to happen. The Old Testament says that and God can no, in no way clear the guilty. He can in no way clear the guilty. That's why the cross had to happen. That's why Jesus had to come and be our substitute. That's why he had to live a perfect life. And he gave his life on the cross for us. That whoever would repent, put their faith in him will be set free based on what Jesus did. Substitutionary atonement. It's a good thing. It's the way to the Lord. The way of the cross. Do you know the Lord this morning? Time is short. The Bible says that man is appointed to die and then comes the judgment. What are you going to call on in those days? On that day? I went to church I dressed up nice. I was in a Sunday school class. I tithed. What are you going to say? Friend, your good works can't get you to God. For it is by grace we have been saved through faith. Not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. That's the gospel. Jesus saves. And he, he wishes to save today in this room. Will you bow with me?